Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The button is hit. Logan's hitting the button. We never know when we're live. Really. We don't. That's we part just, of the fun. This is the problem is like they're going to catch us. Actually. Oh, hi, everyone. Uh, it's your boy, ZDogMD. We're live and direct with another episode of Morning Rounds with Tom and Z. What up, Tom? What's up? I'm also a human person speaking in this microphone. So. That's right. That makes two humanish people <laughs> speaking into microphones. I'll pull up your comments here. And uh, so, Z, check it. I started reading the Theranos book over the weekend, and I'm about, oh my, I'm like 75% of the way, 80% of the way through it. It's called uh, Bad Blood, Secrets and Lies in a Silicon Valley Startup. It's by John Carreyrou. Because, baby, now we got bad blood. Exactly. I love it. And it is, um, it's, this, is this is one of the most riveting books I've read in a long time. Nice. Because it's so, fa- all right, so obviously, you know the whole Theranos story, and we've, we've talked about it before in the news but maybe you could synthesize it for people who don't know long story short elizabeth holmes dresses up like uh steve jobs <laughs> yeah. d- drops out of stanford decides she's going to start a company not a doctor not a medical professional uh but uh a company that is going to take a drop of blood instead of the typical vials and vials of blood and do a panel and battery of tests simply and easily and less painfully in a just truly a story of disruption, a story of a female-led tech company and a science uh, victory gets a ton of backing from some of the biggest names in the world, billions of dollars if investment, and it turns out it's all a scam. 100% scam. 100. So what's amazing is they had these devices called the the four, or they they had two devices. One was called the Edison, and one was called the 4S after the iPhone 4S. Because when Elizabeth Holmes read the Steve Jobs, the Walter Isaacs and Steve Jobs book that we all read Great around book. the time Steve Jobs died, um, employees <laughs> would say that she would come out of her office and they could tell what chapter of the book she was on based on how she was aping Steve Jobs' management style at that time. <laughs> So she would just come out and start giving things code names and pitting this team against the other team, you know, this kind of thing. Oh. But um, it's it's an amazing story about just how she was able to hoodwink people for so long. I mean, for like 15 years, basically, uh, Theranos ran in, in stealth. And for people who don't know, stealth is a Silicon Valley code word for we don't have a product, <laughs> we don't have a business plan, <laughs> we don't know what we're doing. That's that's stealth. That's about right. And so, you know, she ran in stealth for, for all these years and was able to, you know, she took money from... Henry Kissinger was on the board. Mm-hmm. Uh, General Mattis was on the board. George uh, Schultz. George Schultz, former Secretary of State, was on the board. You know, she she had 
gotten the smartest people in the room, all be, all because, really, she had a female founder story that everybody wanted to believe in. Because, okay, you had people in tech like Yahoo's Marissa Mayer or... Um, 23andMe's uh, Ann Wojcicki. Well, Ann Wojcicki would be a real founder, but Legit. I mean, I yeah. think, yeah, people would say she got the money from through the divorce and, and that kind of thing. But they'd be wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Um, or you have Sheryl Sandberg, who's uh, Facebook COO, right? But none of them were founders. The Valley really hadn't had a female Mark Zuckerberg yet, and it really wanted one. Everybody in the Valley wanted this. And so Liz Holmes just showed up and started pretending to be one <laughs> without a real product. So, okay. You know a lot about the the science behind analyzing blood, right? Not as much as some of our lab peeps. But yeah, our lab peeps will, will put me to shame, but the basic premise. So there was a scientist, I think he was French or Norwegian or something like that, um, and he, he basically said that the same thing that happens in microchips and computers could theoretically be used for blood analysis to move around tiny channels of fluids, right? And so Theranos was kind of playing on this idea that they had done this. They, oh, hey, I'm a Stanford dropout, and I, I just, I'm such a genius. I created this technology. What it really was was they would take a single drop of blood. They had a machine that was a robotic arm with a pipette on it, and it would just go around and dump this blood in various tests and see if they could make it work. But <laughs> here's the problem: one drop of blood is not enough. So you have to dilute it. Then you run the first panel, and <laughs> it doesn't. You you get a result that's really not accurate because you diluted your panel so heavily. Right. Right. Then you get to the second panel. There's not even enough blood. You can't run a second one. And they were promising investors. They, they were like, we have 800 tests. Mm -hmm. So how are you supposed to run 800 tests when you don't even have enough blood for the first test? So what they did was they bought a bunch of Siemens blood analyzers, just you know, a third-party vendor. These are common analyzers that are in any lab in the country. And they would dilute it and run the test that way. What's scary about this is this was not just some startup in R&D phase. They got through to, they had a pilot with Walgreens. Yep. And so these were in Walgreens across the Southwest. The same Walgreens that will not sell xylitol products from our sponsor, uh, Spry. <laughs> Spry, putting xylitol in pretty much freaking everything. <laughs> no, it, 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 it's amazing. So they were actually processing blood from patients and affecting outcomes. Yes. And Wait, so, the, like, for instance, if you ran a, a standard um, potassium test on one of these Siemens analyzers, which is hilarious, Siemens. Yeah, Siemens. Um, blood, Siemens. If, if of you, course. If you ran a standard potassium test, you would get a result of, like, 20, let's say, right? And if you ran the same thing with Theranos's diluted version, because they only used a single drop of blood or two or three drops of blood, uh, you would get a result of 10, right? Which is like... Which, by the way, both are fatal. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> because you don't know the reference range. But yeah, just for, for the homies out there, let's say let's say three and, and six. Exactly, yeah. okay. So, um, <laughs> you know, you would think that you're highly deficient in potassium or whatever it is. Right. And uh, the, they were... They were Everybody at the company had this, you know, the Silicon Valley uh, ethos of let's move fast and break things, which works great when you're creating a stupid website for nobody, right? Yeah, like when yeah. you're when you're doing Facebook, it's like, yeah, Mark Zuckerberg did teach himself to code at 12 and he created a website, but you can't really teach yourself complex, uh, you know, microbiology <laughs> at, at 19 as a college dropout. It just doesn't work that way. She was living the dream, man. Right. And and here's the funny thing. So when I I, I did 
I spoke at TED Med in 2013. In 2014, they invited me back as like a distinguished guest. Yeah. So I didn't have to pay the five thousand freaking dollars to go sit there with a bunch of douchebag thought leaders, mentally masturbating and circle jerking each other over stuff that probably is never going to actually impact the world. Because, but that's what these conferences are like. So I go. I'm backstage eating all the free like fancy organic Nutrigrain bars and weird shit with like you know flaxseed in it. Mm -hmm. Everybody's like, "Oh my god, there's so much disruption." And I'm like, "You don't even know what that word means." All right. So what happens? Liz Holmes goes up. She's 2014. Shows up on stage. The air is sucked out of the entire place. Like it all is going into that room. And I'm watching on a monitor backstage eating this fucking flaxseed bar. <laughs> Just, oh, look at this chick, man. Oh, man, that's a nice turtleneck, though. I'm watching and I'm like, well, let's see what's going on. Because I had just been in the Theranos booth. They sponsored the thing, too. So they sponsor Ted Med and they go and speak there. I got my finger sticked, a very nice uh, phlebotomist lady who was kind of a mini phlebotomist because all she did was go kunk, and they said, we'll send you your cholesterol results by email through this Theranos app. I had the app on my phone. Like two weeks later, I got my results, like cholesterol's whatever. I was like, uh, I have no ability to confirm this. I right. don't have a gold standard right. test. So she goes on, everyone is just like, oh, Liz Holmes, you can hear them all talking. It's just like the biggest thing in the world. And I was like, I remember thinking at the time, I'm like, this feels like a scam to me. There's something not right. It's kind of like how I felt about Eugene Gu the first time I heard him doing this thing in the OR, taking a knee and all that. I'm like, this doesn't feel right. Yeah. Something feels wrong. My elephant is angry about this. And and it had nothing to do, I don't think. I Maybe I had implicit bias because she was a female. I don't think so. If a dude had gone up there with a tur turtleneck and tried to be Steve, Steve Jobs, Jobs and yeah. done that shit, I actually probably would have shat on him more. I well, think the bias went the other way. I think, if anything, she got away with it. Yeah, she got away with it a lot longer because yeah. it's sort of reverse sexism. Uh, right. So you, you don't want to You want think. her to succeed. Exactly. You're like, it's a great story. And that's yeah. why none of the investors in the Valley did their due diligence. Mm -hmm. Nobody basically looked into... Does this machine work, right? Like, do, do you think, Tom, that like they're just so desperate to have a female success story because they have been so shitty at equality of opportunity for women in general in that space that they're like, you know what, I'm willing to lose billions as, as long as she puts on a good show. You know, it'll no. make us look like we, you know, care about equal uh, opportunity. A hundred percent. And now yeah. everybody has egg on their face. So here's an interesting anecdote from the from the book: is um, George Schultz, former U.S. Secretary of State. You know, is sort of a senior statesman at this point in his career, and he's an investor in Theranos, and he's on the board. He gets his uh, grandson, Tyler Schultz, a job right. at Theranos. Tyler is, like, fresh out of college, and he starts asking questions, basically, around Theranos, and is like, yo, none of this shit makes sense. Oh. And he, he asked them, he's like, how does, how does this machine get this result? Like, some result, I think it was said 95%, right, mm -hmm. on whatever test they were running. He goes, how does this get this result? And they go, well, here's the thing. We run this machine a hundred times, and then we pick out the ten results that worked, and uh, that's how we get to ninety-five percent. It's like, oh, he he has enough, you know, knowledge to be like, so you're just cherry picking this data, and they're like, no, 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 we don't cherry pick it. It's it's a reversion to the mean, and whatever, you know. And so he goes to Grandpa Schultz, and he tells him, he goes, this is all bullshit. Like you're gonna lose all your money, and not only that, but I, you know, he left the company, and they're threatening me with lawyers, wow. whatever, right? Yeah. And 
Grandpa Schultz is like, this is very interesting, Tyler. And he ambushes him with Theranos lawyers come down from upstairs. And they go, Tyler, we need you to sign this affidavit saying you will never blah, 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 and, you know, et cetera. And he's like, uh-uh, uh, I'm out. Fuck this. And so he goes and gets his own legal counsel. And they start bullying him uh, legally because they had this guy, Boyce, uh, David Boyce, who's one of the top litigators in the country. This guy um, did the prop he got rid of prop eight in he's done a bunch of high level litigation and he's gotten a he's got a relationship or a, what's the word financial <laughs> reputation oh he's got a reputation sorry <laughs> that's a far that away was, from it it was way off yeah i have a newborn i don't sleep people. that's true um, also has, a small stroke he has a reputation for being hyper aggressive and using hyper aggressive tactics so he starts having people tailed and Every, everybody who left Theranos is now getting, um, they have private investigators going through their trash. They're looking into them. They're bullying them. They're telling them they need to sign these affidavits saying, you know, they have these like crazy NDAs they all had to sign. Wow. Et cetera, et cetera. Wow. wow. Um, but it's interesting because why is Boyce doing this? Why is he being so aggressive towards this one company who's, who's not even uh, that big of a client for him? It's because he took Theranos stock. So he's on the board, too, and he has a vested interest. In seeing it succeed. In seeing it succeed. When the house of cards falls, his payment goes down. Well, Adeline T. says you should also mention one of the chief scientists committed suicide was harassed by Holmes and her boyfriend. Her boyfriend is that Indian dude, right? Sonny. Sonny. I forget his last name. Sonny came home from the mission. There's there's a lot of interesting shit about him. So, you know, he was basically like COO. He didn't really have a title. He was kind of like vice president of whatever the fuck I feel like, right? Hey, I've I've, I've had that title. And he'll just walk walk around and, you know, bully the employees, basically, because a lot of the employees were Indians who were on H-1B visas. So so, so let me interrupt for a second. Yeah. This is a common tactic in the exactly. United States that Indian It's almost people, like indentured service. It's an indi- So this, yeah. this happens in medicine. So I, I used to work in, uh, where was it? Was it, f- I, okay, I, I better not say, because it's going <laughs> to get someone arrested. I used to work in a town where there were a lot of Indian doctors, and what one this one guy would do, he was a big business guy. Mm-hmm. So what he would do, he was a cardiologist, would just run this mill, hire a bunch of other docs, nurse practitioners, PAs, run this empire, and then just kind of make all this money. One of the things he used to do is he would bring in people on the visas or coming you know, as foreign uh, international medical graduates, finishing residency, et cetera, and he would make them staff a bunch of stuff and threaten them with deportation yes. if they didn't work for basically nothing. Right, because if you don't, if you lose your job, you're out of the country. Exactly. So you can really, you know, this is a Damocles over these people that you can really hang over their head. It's a kind of brown-on-brown violence. Yeah. So he was really taking advantage of his own tribe, his own people. And it's, it's inexcusable. And I remember I would spread this uh, this yeah. knowledge far and wide locally. But and yeah. all reports on this sunny guy was that he, he was the typical asshole like that and that he had the uh, indentured servant attitude that a lot of Indian males uh, have who have come over from India, right? right. Like he felt like his employees were his servants. Right, and he, right. Would, he would look at their time cards and see when everybody punched in and right. he'd be trying to suss them out. What's funny is the engineers figured out how to game Sonny. Yeah. Uh, and so they would send him emails that were over 500 words because they knew he had such bad ADD he wouldn't read them so it would buy you like weeks that you wouldn't have to uh, deal with Sonny deal up with in Sonny. your grill but the most interesting part of the story is Liz Holmes and Sonny are fucking each other they're in a oh, romantic relationship wow. And, uh, so, you know, that's something that you need, you don't have to disclose it because it's a private company, right. but it's a little weird when you go to work there and it's not been talked about. And then you find out that this guy who's bullying you and that your CEO are 
so romantically yeah, involved. It, it, that that's an intractable ethical conflict right, when exactly. you're managing people, and yet just happen to be par for the course yeah. at this at this company. You know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the whole thing was such a clusterfuck. And the fact that, again, people wanted to buy into this. Yes. Everybody. In, but, but, you know, the lab people, people in the lab were, were, they were like, this is bullshit from day one. Yeah, from day one. Everybody was like, how can that be? Well, here's, here, here's here. the thing, too. She wouldn't let the uh, the chemist and the engineers talk to each other. Oh, my God. So, like, the chemists were like, this shit doesn't work. Yeah. And the engineers were like... Yeah, this shit doesn't work. And they weren't allowed to get together and be like, hey, why doesn't this shit work? Because it's impossible. We're basically doing something that's impossible. And it's like, you can, it's so easy to sell somebody a dream that sounds amazing, right? You know, oh, all we need is a tiny you finger prick of blood. It. Everybody wants to believe Nobody, it. everybody's afraid of needles. They don't want to go and get the blood drawn. If I could get it, in a, and when I had it done, it was so easy. I was like, oh, this is cool, but right. I don't believe it. But extraordinary claims require extraordinary it's, evidence. Yeah. And nobody, look, there was no evidence. It's hard enough. Look, a blood glucometer. Yeah is so freaking inaccurate based on a drop of blood. It's so inaccurate. It's like, you know, that's why we send it to the lab mm -hmm. if you want a real number, because the lab is the gold freaking standard. Now in disruption, you know, Tom, like you start out with not great quality and you start to improve rapidly, but what you start out with that is disruptive is low cost, easy convenience, easy access. Right. So maybe everyone thought, well, maybe that's what it is. It's just not gonna be perfect yet, but it'll get there because the, techno the fundamentals of the technology are valid. Turns out not true. It's like the fire festival of freaking labs. <laughs> like the guy was like, you know, Bobby, what a McFarland or whatever. Yeah, that that's what she was like, except in a slightly more autistic way. There's so much um, Schadenfreude when you when you watch oh, this yeah, go down yeah. because it's so amazing to watch tech elites lose their money this way. It is adorable. <laughs> you know what I mean? It like, is adorable. It's hilarious. So, so, I love so, it. So here's an interesting story, and I'm going to anonymize it as much as I can. So we happen to know a female tech. Uh, entrepreneur who's very well known, and and she, we asked her, well, what what was the deal with Liz Holmes? Because it seems like you guys are cut from a similar cloth in the terms of your leaders in a space and in the Silicon Valley. And she told me, she goes, oh yeah, we we knew each other, yeah, we've had dinner, yeah, uh, and um, there was something really, really, really off from the beginning, right? Uh, a kind of a paranoia, mm -hmm. a kind of almost like a schizotypal paranoia. Well, and you know, it's interesting in the book, they make the point that this paranoia, um, it strengthens the narrative because, you know, she had, there was 20 security guards at Theranos. Two of them were personal bodyguards for Liz Holmes. They had bulletproof windows and basically Theranos was under extreme lockdown. They moved into the old Facebook building oh. and uh, they were on extreme lockdown at all times. So when you go there to visit and you're a potential investor, it seems like these people have really, um, you know, world-changing IP that they're trying to protect, right? <laughs> Instead of they just have one paranoid, crazy CEO. And a world-changing secret that they're trying to protect. Exactly. Yeah. Well, so what is it about the culture of uh, the Silicon Valley? Because uh, I know it quite well that, that you think is contributing to this according to the book. I mean... Do they talk about like Palo Alto and? Well, yeah, yeah. It's interesting because he does talk about how insular Palo Alto is, right? Mm. Like, you know, Liz Holmes. They were um, Theranos was Theranos had rented or leased a, a Stanford building from mm. Stanford Med. You know, one of her Stanford medical, uh, or not Stanford Med. She was Stanford chemist. I forget what she was going mm. for, but. Um, you know, that's another thing they said. When you listen to Liz Holmes talk, she doesn't talk like uh, somebody in the field. She's, she talks like a high school chemistry student because she'd be like, you know, here's the thing. We take an advanced chemistry and we put it. In. Oh, oh, this is the other thing, too. She had a crazy deep voice. 
but it wasn't real. It was an affected voice. Because, really? Yeah, people... <laughs> she had just a normal young girl's voice, yeah. right? And she realized people weren't taking her seriously at a certain point. So she started being... She started talking like, well, I'm Liz Holmes, and I... Just want to change the world, and <laughs> so, here's why. So she took our advice about vocal fry. Don't do it. Yes, she was like, you know, she no, was probably she like, I'm, we're gonna build some chemistry, and and then someone was like, no, you can't talk like that. It worked. Wow, for a long time, it wow. worked. Wow, you know, that's insane. By the way, Janet's asking, what's the title of the book? It's called Bad Blood. Bad Blood: Secrets and Lies in a Silicon Valley Startup, and HBO is coming out with a documentary in early March. Who's playing uh, Lizzie? Uh, no, it's a documentary. Oh, it's a documentary. But so when, she's playing herself. Well, when they do, Alex Gibney is the guy who's doing the documentary who did, uh, man, he's done everything. He did Enron Smartest Guys in the Room. Oh, right, right. So he's going to crush this documentary out yeah, of the park, right? Uh, that's awesome. Um, but when they come out with the movie version, Adam McKay is directing it, who did The Big Short and Vice recently, and Jennifer Lawrence is going to be playing Liz Oh, Holmes. that's amazing. So she's going to do a killer job. Like, the movie of this is going to be amazing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Dude, that's amazing. It's going to be the Hunger Games Lab Edition. When you read this book, there's because I, I was like, I'm not going to read this. I'm going to wait for the documentary, right? Yeah, I don't right. have 11 hours to go through this book on Audible. But then I was like, I started reading it. There's so many insane details in this book. Oh you know what gosh. I mean? It's just amazing. I will now, okay, now I really want to read this book yeah. or, or listen to the audiobook because this is fascinating. It's a good cautionary tale. It's also a good tale about how culture and our, our own biases mm -hmm. can lead us to folly. So this idea that we actually want... We want this thing to succeed. We want the disruption in the space. We want less needles. We want a female entrepreneur to rock the world. Well, it turns out there are female entrepreneurs actually rocking the world. Yeah. We don't need a fake one, right? Yeah. You know? And there's plenty of fake guys. So again, the Fire Festival is a great example. That guy, what's his name? Uh, Billy, 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 yeah. Billy McFarland. And uh, you, you know, you mean the visionary behind Magnesis, Tom? Yo, somebody get Ja Rule, find out how he feels about all this, man. <laughs> he's like, I need to make sense of this. He's like, yo, it wasn't, uh, I wouldn't call it fraud. It was more like, uh, I don't know, uh, false advertising. I'm like, Ja, they're both, those are both crimes. That's from, uh, if you guys haven't seen the Fire Festival documentary oh, on Netflix, tremendous. you should watch it. Just tremendous. You know, what is going on in the culture that there's all this fake it till you make it kind of stuff? Oh, it's been, it's been, a, it's been going on forever. It, it, you know, you it see seems, it in Vegas. It seems to be more though. It's more, but also we're in Vegas where fake it till you make it is like a piece of the thing. Like your buddy who just called you up or whatever, right? And, you know? He's like, oh, this is the thing, man. Oh, yeah, yeah, blowing yeah, a bunch yeah, of yeah. smoke up your ass about how successful he is. And it turns out, you know, he's living on the street. I had an insane, yeah, I had an insane friend from college call me recently and he was like, I was like, hey man, how are you doing? You know, what's up? You know, he's like, I'm full, I'm killing it, bro. I'm fucking, I'm making millions. I'm fucking crushing it. Meanwhile, I talked to Logan who saw him eight months ago at like a burrito place and he was like, yeah, I'm straight up homeless, dude. Uh, <laughs> And, and I was like, where are you based at right now? He was like, I'm, I'm global, dude. I'm fucking global. I was like, well, you, where are you right now? What's your physical location? Oh. What are your coordinates, bro? I'm global. You just got to catch me where I'm at, bro. See, I appreciate people like Ethan who are like, I own an Isuzu Rodeo and not much more. All right? I'm going to tell you who I am. I'm me. That's the way you want. Uh, let's. So earlier I posted about let's take some comments uh, that you want us to talk about on this live show because we're going to be on in an hour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we have a few. You want to hit some of those? Let's do it. Why not? Because I think the Theranos thing is freaking amazing. People are going to read the book and come back. We'll do another show on that. So, uh, oh, by the way, uh, what else was I going to say? Uh, One Seek. Ooh. Big music video mm -hmm. coming out like tonight or tomorrow. We're waiting on this potential sponsor. If they don't... Um, Sign up today. I don't care. I don't want their money. I just want to put the video out. <laughs> uh, so here's the thing. Um, 
Spella Dillard says, we know hospitals don't get reimbursed for readmissions when patients are admitted with the same diagnosis within 30-ish days. How then is it okay when some patients are non-compliant? We can educate them to death, help with resources, you name it, but they still don't do their part. So this is the central thing about the measurement industrial complex, Tom. They measure us on these things that are often beyond our control. They are the social determinants of health, their patient education, there's the education system, the welfare system, all these other things that contribute to failure mm-hmm. for patients to, to get stuff done. It's kind of like when I did the, the video, it's your fault if your kid is obese. Right. What I was saying is, it's your fault if now I've told you that putting Dr. Pepper with sugar in it in your kid's sippy cup, which I've seen you do, mom, is a terrible idea, and that's why the kid is fat, not because he has bad genes, or a glandular problem. Right. All right, now there may be those things, but in your case, it's entirely your decision. Now how do I, how do, as a, as a hospital, I get penalized as healthcare advisor, I get penalized if you don't do well, because it means I didn't do my job, but the thing is, a lot of times it's not just me, a lot of times it's the entire societo-technical surroundings of that patient that has failed, but we are held accountable right. for human stuff. And the social determinants of health, which we don't directly control, we socialize, we medicalize our social problems and then we're held accountable. Now, I think that's why measurement industrial complex is going to fail because you can game those things. Well, yeah, because what you what you measure is what you end up optimizing for. That's right. Right. So if you're measuring readmissions, you'll optimize for not having people come back. And you know what that does? There's some evidence, early evidence, and I don't remember the exact trial, that more people die. Yeah. So, so in other words, we can set it up so that it's harder yeah. for you to come back but maybe you need to come back right. because we haven't fixed the fundamental problem, which is bad diet, food, desert, poverty, lack of safety so you can't exercise, lack of access to the pharmacy to get your meds, so therefore, quote, non-compliance, mm-hmm. which now we're trying to we're trying to PC that term into non-adherence, Tom. Oh, really? Because you just didn't adhere to our mutually decided plan. <laughs> it's not about complying. Why are we trying to rob everybody of personal responsibility? See, yeah. You well, know, see, you need personal responsibility. I think if you make a general statement on the internet nowadays, right, where you'd be like, everybody should take care of their kids, mm. right? Somebody will come out in the comments and it'll be like, what if you was attacked by a spider monkey and he punched out your eyeballs and now you're blind? What about that? Because that happened to me. And you're like, happens, okay, well, shit, I don't know. It happens every time. <laughs> right. When I do when I do the piece on, uh, and look, 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 personal responsibility is important as at least an illusion that we have some degree of free will and control because you have to hold people accountable for their decisions. Otherwise, they won't make good decisions. Right. The, but the second thing is you do also hold the system accountable and you go, there are social determinants, there are other things. So we're saying there's a nuanced center of ground, but ignoring any, equa- any part of that equation, you'll lead to failure. Yeah, and, I actually probably think there's less nuance than you do. I think that everybody should have 100% personal responsibility. Yeah. See, we di- will disagree. Basically, one hundred percent. What would be your percentage of responsibility? You think you should have for your own, for your own personhood? I, I think. Well, this is a very loaded question. I'm going to say hundred. Actually, I'll say ninety nine, just to be to not be, a, not to a be dick. PC. I'm going to say this because I think we've talked about free will before. Free will is an illusion, and we're the sum total of all these uh, processes that are conditioned, genetic, environmental. So, really, we don't have true agency. But if we don't believe we have agency. Uh, in other words, if we don't operate under the assumption that we have accountability, we will not make right decisions. So the short answer is 35%. Typical liberal elitist 35% bullshit. 35% personal responsibility. <laughs> 70, what's the, what's the 65% systems, architecture, education, environment, blah, blah, blah. I don't believe any of that. I'm going to stick at 100%. All right. Yep.
I'm I, went, I took away my 1%. Back hey, yeah, up you're to doubling 100. down. That's yeah. right, because I triggered your elephant. Now you're like, <laughs> no, now it's zero. Well, here's, here's the thing. Even if it's not uh, actually 100%, I think people should behave as though it's 100%. Well, I agree with you. Yeah. I actually agree with you. But, but, okay, individuals should behave as if it's 100%, but here's the downside of that. I don't think we should be judgy and retributive in the way we go. So in other words, our criminal justice system is based on retribution. It doesn't make sense if we don't really have free will. We should make it on rehabilitation and preventing and, and deterring future crime. Mm -hmm. So if the death penalty works to defer future crime, then it's great. If it doesn't, then we shouldn't use it. Right. And I actually don't know the answer to that because I haven't looked into that. But 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 uh, you know, and I think the same goes with us. So we can operate under holding people accountable, but at the same time, for example, you, you're a fuck up. Let's say you're a total fuck up, Tom Heineberg, which is only 70% correct since we're working in per percentages. True. Do I blame you for being a, a piece of shit that doesn't hold your shit together? 100%, yeah. See, I would say, you do. I go, you know, Tom was raised in a difficult situation as a mom with mental illness. He's got a lot of stuff he's dealing with. He's doing the best he can. I bet I could help him do better by holding him accountable in some degree publicly and saying, Tom, you know what? You need to get your shit together because now you have a kid and a wife and it's a very important. Yeah. But at the same time, in my mind, I'm thinking he's doing the best he can and he couldn't behave any other way, molecule for molecule the way he is. But we can we can help him get better. He can surround himself with better people. We can help contribute. So that that's the way I see it. See, that's a bad example, though, because I actually do have all those things in real life, and yet, look at me, I'm responsible. I'm responsible for a ton of people in my life, more so than myself, because when you have responsibility, it ripples outward, because almost nobody is fucking responsible for themselves. But, but So why does it ripple outward? Because It ripples outwards because the people that are around me will drag me down if I, like, you know what I'm saying? Like... I have to be responsible for my mentally ill mother because there are no services for her, first of all. There's there's no way to help her. And then if she goes off and runs her car off a bridge or does X, Y, and Z, it's going to negatively impact my life, right? Right. Or like there are people who uh, I have in my life, like my mother-in-law, who you know don't have any money. Like they're 60-whatever years old. They don't have any money. So if I don't fucking buy them a house, which I did, then I'm never going to... Uh, I'm gonna have to hear about it every goddamn day of my life. So it negatively impacts my life. Right. So but right. but that that's perfect. It means that causes and conditions outside of you are impacting the way you behave. So personal responsibility for you is making sure your life stays in order by taking care of these people. That's everybody's personal responsibility right. though. But that so so I guess what I'm saying is that is that is personal responsibility. It in a way it is the result of all these outside causes and conditions and your own way of dealing with them, but who's the author of that? Who's the agent of that? Is there a you in there making those decisions or is it just happening? No, I make those decisions because every day I think, fuck this, I wanna move to Bermuda and not do any of this. <laughs> and every day I persevere. Right, right. So yes, it's me but, making those right, decisions. Right, but who's the I? Me. Tom Heineberg. Who is me? I make those decisions so there's every a little, day. There's a little guy in there pulling the levers, yeah? See, I think that this actually is just a, um, this is a cognitive elite uh, sensibility mm -hmm. where you think everybody is fucking stupid and I have to take care of them. And so what we should do is have a big system in place for all the idiots. Right. So that looks like something like we're going to give them universal basic income and we're going to let them, we're going to legalize weed so they can all sit around and get high and watch whatever stupid TV they want while we go run the world. Right. Mm. I don't believe that. Mm. I, I have more of a conservative vantage point where I'm like, everybody get your shit together. Everybody. Mm. Not just people that are smart. Dumb but, people get your shit together too. But that's a that's a similar elitist attitude saying, hey, I have my shit together. You should get your shit together and I'm going to influence you to get your shit together. You're architecting a system. Like even now by doing this podcast. But I'm not saying everybody should be handsome millionaires like me. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, 
I'm just, I'm just saying, I'm just saying that everybody should do the best they can where they are with what the you know tools and resources they have available to them. And shit, I don't see that happening very much at all. Do you? So, oh well, I'll tell you where I agree with you is uh, as a uh, you know purported liberal elite, according to you. Yeah. The the way so, I agree with you is limousine liberal. Liberally limousine liberal. <laughs> I'd love to have a limo. Could you imagine just owning a limo and just driving around in it? I will point you all back to a live cast that he did where he was in a limo. Oh, yeah. That got, got tagged on the freeway. <laughs> I got rear-ended on like a dangerous Chicago thoroughfare uh, where there had been shootings. Listen, Logan's never been in a limo. You are elite. See? Mm -hmm. You're right. You're right. You know what's interesting is, is how the elite don't believe in personal choice, but people who are struggling do. Yeah. What do you think that's about? I don't know. That's an interesting mm -hmm. question. Because... Because when you're, I mean, the only person who's going to help you is you when you're struggling. Yeah. yeah. Right? Maybe. The elite also never talk about God either. They only mm. talk about money. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Depends on which elite we're talking it's about. It's only when you're struggling that you start to talk about hey, God a lot. See, these are really fundamental questions, actually. And, and yeah, what am I trying to say here? Because this is stuff I think about quite routinely people need to believe they have free agency and be held accountable they need that yes otherwise they will not so there are a lot of people who behave behave and i'm gonna say this they're not i'm not saying they are pieces of shit i'm saying they behave like pieces of fucking trash yeah and they they don't take care of their kids they don't hold down a job they want to be you know doing all these other things but but why is that because we have we have causes and conditions around them that allow that, that encourage that, that actually maybe diminish personal responsibility for whatever that is, whether it's real or illusory. That entity, that organism is felt to believe that this is the way I have to behave in order to get through the world. Don't you think personal responsibility though is, is the um, ability to stem the tide, to stand in the flow of that river of things that are around you and resist yeah well and you everything in life that's worth having everything a good relationship children financial health physical health it's just a combination of diligence effort uh time and patience right and you'll get whatever you want in this life okay so i agree with you 100 percent what uh where do those that diligence effort time and patience come from if our mind is really this collection. It's it's not one mind. It's a collection of processes that are each trying to compete for conscious attention. Right. So people will say those executive functions, if I'm gonna be diligent, I'm gonna choose I, this illusory I is gonna sit down and choose. Really, it's we, yeah. these processes. It, it, it's a it's a consensus among these minds through repetition, through exposure to ideas and saying, like if I listen to Tom saying, listen, I need to get my shit together and have personal responsibility. The sub, if enough sub minds are tuning in, they're gonna listen and say, you know what? Yeah, okay, we all agree. We're gonna sit down today and we're gonna write that script we never got around to writing. And yeah. then that feeds on itself because those intentions create more intentions that then create action. But again, it's it's almost like this neuronal storm that you are influencing. It's not necessarily a little guy behind a curtain uh, pulling the strings. M meditation is actually a way to see the storm and go, oh, I'm gonna actually create a consensus to do things that I have decided by consensus are better for the organism, the whole system. But really, the, we're saying the same thing. It's just framing it differently. Yeah. Yeah. But I think the frame, the framing matters. It does matter, yeah. No, I can, agree with you. People can take control of their own lives if you tell them that they're they're able to take control of yeah. their own life, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas if you're like, hey, man, it's just, you know, some of you just came out fucking stupid. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. 
That's on you. There is a downside to this philosophy, though. So in other words, your approach, is, the downside is people who have been the um, sort of have had a lot of bad luck or have made decisions that are regrettable. There can be a lot of self-blame if you take it all as this was my fault, this is my responsibility, whereas you could say it's a combination. I choose to be a different person in any given waking moment, and that is on me, but what happened before is dead. It's, I'm dead to the past. You know, yeah. the beginning starts. I think now. that self blame is a uh, is a is a necessary part of maybe the early cycle of mm. taking responsibility. I think later on you can get over that, but yeah, in the beginning, like you should blame yourself mm. because really it's it's you who find yourself in this position. It isn't society. Society didn't put you in this position. Yeah, there are sugary drinks at every uh, gas station across America. You you can walk a hundred feet and get to a new sugary drink, right? Mm. But it's your choice to go into that store and buy that drink and put that in your body. Mm. That's just you. It's not the societal conditioning around you. It's you. You made the choice. That's what you're going to tell people. Yeah. See, and I, I That's would... the truth, though. Well, That's the truth. Who is the you? That's the question. Them. The, <laughs> the person who walked in see, to that, buy the see, soda. That, that's where, that, see, that's where I think, and again, a lot of philosophy, meditation, those kind of things, kind of, well, this you is a bit of a construct, Right now, the question is, where's the construct coming from? It's all these unconscious causes and conditions. Listen, here's the other thing about being, you know, uh, on the libertarian side of things. I don't care. Like, if you want to do that to yourself, I don't care. Mm. Right? That's your personal. Um, that's your freedom. Like, mm. you're allowed to drink sugary drinks until you die. I don't care. I'm not going to give you health care. Like, I don't mm. want to pay for you to do that. Mm -hmm. I don't want that taken out of my pocket. But. Well, in a way, then you're you're also saying you want to game a system that doesn't encourage bad behavior, yeah. which which is also what I'm saying. So I'm saying, yeah. well, you know what? We should make it a little less easy to get sugary stuff and easier to get fruits and vegetables in, say, impoverished communities that suffer more from diabetes. Okay, now now we get to the the role that government should actually be playing, which yeah. is like actually regulating the market, right? So if capitalism is just going to percolate up things that are terrible for people. Government is that their job is to put a filter on that and be a regulator for that. Yet they don't often do it. Yeah, they I don't mean, do it well. We still have cigarettes that are still legal. Yeah, I know. Which is crazy. Why? Because why the, are cigarettes the, legal? the tobacco lobby yeah. pretty much owns a lot of Congress. Right. Any southern state. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's absolutely true. We have a dysfunctional system. In a in a perfect system, it could work, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, you could see how government cut the brakes on and but then you have an emergent competition system and US would live up to its ideals of this beautiful system of, of open, efficient markets, regulated without cheating, et cetera. Yeah. I mean, I've said it before, but uh, you can't get diet drinks in the hood. If you're trying to get even a diet, like Diet Coke maybe be the only thing you find there, but if you're trying to get like something that's uh, diet, like Diet Vit Vitamin Water Zero, whatever mm. these new these new drinks, mm. you cannot find them mm. in the ghetto. You can right. only find sugary drinks in the ghetto. Right, and you could even make the argument that diet sodas are not a great idea, but you have to do incremental change. Yeah. Uh, that's when I go full bore too and just get an RC Cola because oh, RC, RC Cola is bomb. the jam. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> uh, it's a very hard question. Like. Doug Ferrego just wrote in. He oh, says, yeah. you guys are ugly and suck. How dare you, Doug Ferrego? You know what, Doug Ferrego, you bitch-ass bitch. We actually, Doug's a friend of ours. <laughs> Doug's a great primary care physician, direct primary care uh, out on the East Coast. Was, he Doug created the precursor to Z-Dog Industries, which is the placebo journal. This is true. So it was a... Because a, back then, you would print a magazine and send it to subscribers. And he had something like 10,000 print subscribers for this comedy journal. And I have the entire archive. I'm gonna go on record and say that I met Doug Frego in real life. 
And he smells. <laughs> He's a bitch, right? <laughs> I'm telling you. And again, it's not it's not libel because it's spoken. It's slander. <laughs> right in Doug, you bitch ass bitch. Oh, there he is. Uh, and I am between patients, says Doug Prego. See? He can't even he doesn't have the time to take a shit on us because he's actually seeing patients. Um let's see. Uh, the rich should not get the best health care. The best should be available to anyone, Jane Davies. Well, see the only disagree, strong disagree. The problem with that, I, I agree we should have everyone should be covered. The question is uh First of all, what's the best? In the this rich, country? I think the rich should get the best health care first, which they do because they're subsidizing it. They're paying for these new procedures, right? Mm. And then it, if it works, it will percolate down downstream. See, I think like this idea of the best being expensive is wrong. Like I think the best health care is cheap. The best health care is just preventing disease and you know better better nutrition, better education. So yeah, you can get the best elective hip replacement first yeah. as a rich person, the Robo 2000 with the titanium dingus in it. But uh, you could prevent the hip for much cheaper. You know, I think the thing with the... We see a lot of people um, who are envious of the wealthy in today's day and age. And mm. it's like, you know, there's really, it's not that great. I've been around a lot of wealthy people. And what do they do? They drive a slightly nicer car than you. They take a slightly nicer vacation than you. And their house is a little bigger than yours. That's about it. Otherwise, we have ubiquity of consumption. Everybody has the same iPhone in their pocket. Mm. Everybody's wearing the same shoes. And eventually, yeah, everybody will get the same health care. Well, you know, there, there's a, the data that shows that 70,000 bucks a year is the upper limit of where returns to happiness happiness yeah. so yeah it's true maslow's hierarchy if you're not fulfilling if you're living on the street right that's a problem but once you reach 70 grand everything else is fluff and i can say having gone through that transition from residency where i was making 35 grand mm -hmm. to my first year post residency where i was working for a couple startups and doing moonlighting i made probably 125 grand that yeah. first year out this was 2002 um it's a huge huge happiness transition what's it's your runway you yeah know, like it you have a longer runway now right like when you're when you're living day to day that's horrendous that's horrendous for yeah. anybody when you're living week to week it's still really bad yeah and even when you're month to month it's terrible yeah when you have like let's say a year a year of, a year of savings right. you, you walk around with this like quiet confidence of right, just right. like fire me i don't give a well, shit now you can actualize right. yourself exactly you get to the top levels of maslow you can sit around reading philosophy and debating with tom yeah about whatever but 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 you know the thing is up you know to how you get there's a personal responsibility <laughs> <laughs> i you thought it was universal basic income Tom. no you save your money and spend less no, than you actually, make tom is right but the thing is people don't even have the basic education on finances if you grow up with a dad who doesn't fucking spends his money on alcohol and hookers what are your chances of understanding how to spend money they're pretty low mm -hmm. right at least you you know you had a wonderful father who actually was very conservative with money yeah meaning meaning he would teach you that yeah uh, well no i i've always said that it wasn't the equity i because i didn't receive much equity um until my father died. And mm. now I manage that on behalf of my mother, who's probably going to drain it all because we have no mental health services right. in this country. So, you know, it really wasn't equity. Because we medicalized our social it was, it was knowing how things actually work and how compounding works and how, you know, money, how money really works. Like, I mean, mm. it doesn't get taught. Yeah, I think we should have a, a class in school yeah. where you teach that. But like, why don't we teach it? Because you need everybody to want that dollar and to want to go to work. So yeah. you, you incentivize, that's a, that's a societal thing where you incentivize people, you know, to spend every dollar they make right, and then go to work to earn more. Advertising. Right. You're never going to out earn your culture. own stupidity. Yeah, like, yeah. 
You know, and like, uh, you know, Kieran here says, sucks, made $48,000 last year, went to school for this. And this is the problem. So again, and that $70,000 number might have changed with inflation, but the bottom line is here's the punchline. Now I make more than that because I've been working for so many years. My wife is also a physician. We work really hard. We save our money. And yet the level of happiness from that money is the same. What it allows us to do is an independence to do what we're doing now, which is something we feel is purposeful. Mm -hmm. So now I'm like, well, I don't have to see patients every day because guess what? I've saved money. So now I can take a risk in actually doing what I love, which is this, this, this platform that we have. It's, having these conversations. Listen, it's going to suck if you're going to save your money, especially when you're not making that much money. Like when I first started out, I wasn't making that much money uh, straight out of college. and But I, w- I was still very intent on investing almost everything I made. And so um, me and my wife would get into literal fights, like fights in the car, you know, where one of us had gotten the guac at Chipotle. And it's like, do you think that we're made of money? Do you? The guac is $2 extra. They just raised the price. One of my earliest fights with my wife was we were residents and we had just met. So she'd come out of medical school and I'd come out of medical school, different places. She went to Stanford Med and I went to UCSF. We met at Stanford Residency. And she goes, let's go to this, let's go to a restaurant. And I'm like, cool. I had my list in my head of every restaurant for which you could get a dinner for less than $10. (laughs) And she had everything else because, you know, her her parents were, uh, I think, they, how 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 do I put this? They valued education as Chinese Americans to the degree where they paid all her tuition. So that was what they do as parents. That was the value. Whereas my parents were cheap ass Indians. They valued education, but they're like, he can work. He can take loans. You go ahead. So for me, it was abject poverty, not just poverty, but debt. So I was always scrimping and saving. And then she'd be like, let's go to this place. It was like 30 bucks a plate or something. And I'm like, you're mentally ill. There's something wrong with you. Like we can't be together <laughs> because because you don't understand. I need to survive, and I, t- I was taught this by my dad, who always acts like he's going to be on the street because yep. he came from India with nothing. Yep. Right. So it, it's interesting, and and that still pervades how cheap I am about stuff <laughs> to this day. Well, I had to get, when when we were um, just starting out, we started to make good money. You know, we were making like a hundred thousand dollars a year plus, and uh, Logan was just blowing through everything on guns and new cars and whatever he could find. <laughs> And so I bought I bought Logan the Dave Ramsey Financial Peace book and I was like, "Listen, here's what you got to do, man. You got to fucking get rid of these cars and all your debt obligations and you got to save your money and here's you know." And it took Logan like 3 years of me badgering him before he finally listened and was like, "Holy shit." You know, I've been spending all my money, Tom Heinebrew. I was like, yeah, I do, man. I've been watching it happen. And then he fixed his shit, and now his net worth is in the positive and not the negative. It's really remarkable. And we're not just just making fun of Logan, although we will do that on the daily. <laughs> it, this is Logan's actually better than the average American. What did you say the average American has saved? Oh, it's, it's um, 70% of Americans can't find $400 in an emergency. That's insane. 70%. Right. 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 Do you know how many Americans are financially independent? How many? 2.8%. How do you define? That's ridiculous. How do you define financial independent? Yeah, fi- I think financially independent was that was the number of Americans who were over 1.5 million net worth. They consider that financially independent? Yeah. Yeah. Interesting cutoff. Yeah. Well, it's it's a it's a calculation of your age and your net worth, right? Because you need to have right to, to live to enough X. money to the end of your life. Right. Right. Yeah. right. So I see what you're saying. Sometimes people use um, you know 25x. So whatever you have saved is uh, 
it, or whatever you spend a year has to you have to have 25x that in savings yeah because you know by the time you retire usually you live about 25 years yeah, yeah yeah now we have a few people here commenting on the equity disparities in other words the um difference between the very rich and the very poor is widening the middle class is starting to get squeezed what do you see as a is that a problem or do you see no see i think that people are being too myopic about this i think america redistributes wealth it just does it slowly uh it usually takes two or three generations once like for instance liz holmes who we we're talking about in the beginning liz holmes father she's descended from the uh fleischmann's yeast corporation dynasty which was um her great Great, great, no, it was great-grandfather had made a shitload of money in the early Industrial Revolution. And by the time it got down to Liz Holmes' father, Chris Holmes, it had all been squandered, just pissed away on, you know, luxuries and uh, living in Maui and, you know, mm. having third wives and all this kind of stuff. Well, that's dynastic wealth, right? But the yeah. question is, like, the very rich of the whatever 1% versus the, you know, they have, what, 50% of the... Well, but that's but that's dynastic wealth, you know, just in the myopic view. Like it will dissipate back eventually. But, but to other rich people. So I guess the question is not okay. necessarily not necessarily because it all does filter down. Does it? Yeah. Uh, we've have we seen that happen? Well, I think the way like you can't see me if you're on the podcast, but I think if the poor are here and the rich are here, like yes, sometimes it grows uh, upwards, right? But a rising tide, you know, lifts all ships. Like the poor, you know, the poor have a much better life than they did even 30, 40 years ago. If you're poor now, you have a big screen TV and you have air conditioning and you have a car. You know what I mean? Like, so, so, so let me understand if I understand what you're saying. You're saying, okay, the rich and the poor are separating more and more, but the poor are rising still, even though the gap is widening. Yeah. The That's not to say, though, that the system is perfect because the system is totally fucked beyond repair. Yeah. And it does need to be um, overhauled entirely. How, how would you improve... Uh, the big wealth gap because look I think I think uh, we... I would kill inflation I would have a deflationary currency but that's just me a aka this... a cryptocurrency well it, right. it, it it would be Bitcoin in my in, in my world <laughs> it all comes back yeah yeah, yeah. yeah yeah that's how I'd fix it but you know if you look at it just the basics um, inflation is rising and it's rising faster than people realize because of things like quantitative easing right so you have QE1 QE2 QE3 QE4 and now the Fed is talking about doing QE indefinitely which just means we're gonna print money indefinitely mm -hmm. and so when you have inflation it robs from the poor who don't have savings because they have to keep their money in cash under the mattress the rich pile into assets these assets inflate and that's how you get you know Bay Area real estate is at five million dollars for a for a two two thousand square foot home and the the poor are priced out of the economy. Mm -hmm. So that's an, a fundamentally immoral system. And that's not capitalism, that's cronyism. Mm -hmm. And that's what we have right now. So yeah, that does need to be entirely overhauled to fix it. But America is still a place where you can get ahead because 80% of America's millionaires are first-generation millionaires. Mm -hmm. They're immigrants, they're people, they're professional people, they're doctors, they're lawyers, they're mm -hmm. bankers, they're accountants, they're business people. And mm -hmm. they're they're just people who save their money. Is there something to what uh, people have talked about the Pareto distribution, though, that once you're wealthy, it begets more wealth, and it's very hard then to break into that upper echelon of Pareto? Until you die and your idiot kids take it over. And, right. You know, they so you're saying it that's on, how it's redistributed. It on Ferraris. Yeah, is, that's, is how, it's, that's right. how it's redistributed. Like Bizarro Tom Heineberg yeah. would take you know dad's uh, equity, and instead of giving it to his mom right. and managing it for her, would spend it on crack and hose. For instance, uh, right. Anderson Cooper is a van. Vanderbilt, 
Uh, a lot of people don't know that, but his mom is Gloria Vanderbilt. And oh, wow. uh, so he's descended from the Vanderbilt dynasty. Hmm. And I don't think that there's much money left. Otherwise, I don't <laughs> think he'd be doing CNN. Hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. What about a Gates or someone who's giving a lot of his money away to, you know, philanthropic stuff? Yeah, yeah 100% support that, yeah. obviously. And a lot of people are signing the Wealth Pledge, Warren Buffett, Gates, Zuckerberg, et cetera, et cetera. What about taxes as a mechanism to uh, decrease the wealth gap? Disagree, 100%. Mm. Because, you know, asking the government to do things is like doing a blood transfusion from the left arm to the right arm and spilling half the blood in the process. Like, the government can't do anything. They suck. <laughs> Should we have AI run government? If we get a good enough AI, sure. Mm -hmm. But it'll probably kill us all before That's then. true. Because if it's that good, <laughs> right. All I'm right. just saying that people can do it. And that you, if you have personal responsibility, especially for your own self, you can do it. You can pull yourself out of low-level poverty. Extreme poverty is an entirely different matter. That's a different and matter. Yeah, that, That's those, a Pareto those, distribution in itself. Those people need a helping hand up. It's a negative Pareto. Right. So in other words, you're so uh, disadvantaged. And, and not just not just in terms of any systemic bias and those kind of things, but just purely from your own inability to mm -hmm. have education, have safety, have support, get any of the bottom Maslow's taken care of. Um, let's do some comments now towards the end here, 10 minutes. Cronyism, yep, my home state of New Jersey run by cronies, Linda yep. Carroll. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Who's that fat piece of shit? Um, uh, what's his name? The uh, guy. The Trump, guy. Trump guy then didn't become a Trump Chris guy. Chris Christie. Chris Christie. Yeah, Chris Christie is such a piece of shit. He embodies <laughs> everything that's wrong with American politics. <laughs> I don't know enough to agree or disagree, but um, yeah. I, I just remember the picture of him on the beach during yeah. like, some shutdown. Uh -huh. um, Gates charities do way more than a government program. 100%. Uh, Patrick Murray. Yeah. Uh, maybe Anderson Cooper has pride and self-worth and doesn't want to sit on his wealth, Cindy Zimmel. I don't think there's that much wealth left mm. in the Vanderbilt fortune, or at least not the way it was, you mm. know, because Vanderbilt was actually a philanthropist as well, too, so he did give a lot of money away. Mm. That's mm. why we have Vanderbilt University. Uh, lone CEO of a Bitcoin thing disappears in India, Linda uh, Treen. That's true. This dude <laughs> disappeared with $500 million worth of Bitcoin and, and cryptocurrencies. <laughs> And he was like, oops, I died in India. And everybody's like, yeah, I don't think so, bro. He just, he was like, yeah, I'm dead now. He's like, mm, are you though? <laughs> Prove it. Prove it. Show me the body. <laughs> uh, by the way, when, have, when is Games of Thrones, Game of Thrones restarting? Games of Thrones. Games of Thrones. <laughs> Do you watch Games of Thrones? Hey, you know, we, <laughs> so. <laughs> it's coming back, I think, in April, right? In April, yeah, yeah. That's. I'm catching up on the audiobooks. I'm trying to finish all the audiobooks. I'm so excited. I'm on four out of five. It's the last season, people. The audiobooks, by the way, for people who don't do Audible, <laughs> it, they are tremendous because it's this one guy, Ray Dutrice, Roy Dutrice, and he does all the voices, and yeah. he's, he's just amazing. Like, I'm listening to it right now, and it's like, Brian, walk through the four. It's all the shit that wasn't in the show. So it's like these backstories and crazy shit, mm -hmm. like, you know, Caitlin coming back to life as a zombie and all this neat shit. And he, the way he does a voice is just fucking tremendous, you know? Because, like, you know, Tyrion will be like, well, you know, father, there you are on the privy, and da-da-da. And then he's like, well, listen, Tyrion, put that crossbow down. Oh, I am shot. And it's, it's, it's just, it's a whole different way to consume the insanity that is Game of Thrones, man. Yeah, I'm going to have to read it, but I won't. You won't, I, I know. Won't. Well, audio it. Audio, audio. Do it on the on the on the treadmill. Audible's dope, man. They're yeah, not even sponsoring. I know they used to. Yeah, those punk ass bitches. Punk ass bitches. You know what? Fuck sponsors. You know what? Fuck Audible. Yeah, I take it all back. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Who wants to listen to books? No one. No one. Uh huh. Except when we for a have lot of people. movies, right? <laughs> you know what? I'll tell you what, Z Pack. You become a supporter on Facebook, four ninety nine a month. I will read your favorite books to you, and you can record it. <laughs> 
I'll do a series of Facebook lives where I read a book. Like, hey, you guys want to listen to uh, Steven Pinker's new uh, new book? Uh, what's it called? The one about uh, uh, Enlightenment Now or whatever? Oh, Enlightenment Now, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I'll read it like Roy DeTrice would read Game of Thrones. I'd be like, the thing about monetary policy is there are several components. There are, said the masses. There are. Uh, I'm loving audible books even better than reading, says Pammy Hopper. Um, am I the only one who's never seen Game of Thrones, Danny Koch? Yes, you are. Yes, you are, Danny. Mm-hmm. You need to get on that. I, I resisted. Then Tom made me watch it's it. It's so good. It's really good. It's so good. Um, Laura Kellenberger, it's not an equal playing field to acquire those skills to move up. There's a privilege thing that affects opportunity. I think that's a Pareto distribution. So in other words, if you're born into a lot of opportunity, it begets more opportunity. I think it's been historically true with uh, with the white majority. I, I, I believe that, yeah. Mm. that. But but it's not true anymore. It, it was true, but it's not true anymore. And so where do we go from here is the question. I, I'll say, I'll agree and disagree. I'll say it's less true. Less true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. Uh, well, we did stuff here. Tom we Hunter. did a thing. We did a thing. We, we talked thing. about Theranos. Yeah. We talked about monetary policy, deflationary currencies. We talked about personal responsibility and free will. And we talked about these nuts. Ooh. That's right. These nuts are warm, warm when it's cold outside. <laughs> Every second of the night, I live another lie. Oh, by the way, guys, we need a parody idea for Nurses Week this week. Oh, that's right. Uh, this 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 year. Uh, in May, Nurses Week, we do a thing every year. This year, we're going to do another thing with Board Vitals. We need... We've been thinking about doing 99 problems. Yeah. I got 99... 99 patients. 99 patients, but a click ain't one. I don't <laughs> it's know. It's like, yo, if you got safe staffing ratios, I'm, I'm mad jealous, son. <laughs> I got 99 patients and they all drunk. <laughs> Come <Hit me>. on. <laughs> yeah, you know, that may be it. Uh, I, although it goes a little hard, I think, for our nurse audience, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, Y'all don't get down with Jigga? Hove? I'm down with Hove. H to the Izzo? V to the Izzo. Fascism on Nizzle used to dribble down in VA? <laughs> I do want to do nurses in clinic, but you won't let me do it. Yeah. That goes really hard. It goes hard, mm-hmm. right? Ball so hard, other nurses can't find me. <laughs> no, the doctors can't find me. Right? Yo, what's 50 clicks to a motherfucker like me? Can, Can you, you please, please remind, remind me? me? Nurse so hard, this shit cray. <laughs> Chart so hard, this shit crazy. That's right. Dunk, 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 dunk. Y'all don't know I take care of old ladies. <laughs> Yo, Gets what? the people going. Yo, what she order? Fish, Fish filet. filet. <laughs> Turkey sandwich. All right, let's let's bail. Yeah, all right, let's all right, bail. we out. Uh, we love you guys. Bye. Thumbnail. Thumbnail. Hey, it's Dr. Z. Thanks for getting through the whole episode. That's a huge accomplishment. (laughs) And so at this point, I just got to ask you for a few favors because it just helps us so much if you leave a review on your favorite podcast platform and subscribe. It it just really helps the algorithm to get this message out to others. The second thing is email me, hello at zdogmd.com. I get all these emails personally. I can't respond to them all, but I need to hear your voice because especially on podcast, we don't have a comment section. And I want to hear how this episode affected you, what you'd like to hear in the future, what you think we got wrong, what we think we got right, anything, anything, or just say hi. So that's really powerful. And the third thing is financially, it helps us a lot to support the show in any way you can. And if you go to zdogmd.com forward slash supporters, you can join our supporter tribe on your favorite platform, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, wherever. What that will get you on those platforms is live shows with me that are exclusive for supporters. 
and access to our Zoom meetings where we talk about awakening realization and we share with each other our own experience. It's a powerful group effect. It's a community, really. And we support and love each other and share, again, through our own experience, how we're waking up. So, and that that ripples out into systems, into transforming healthcare and education and government. So it st- really starts with us. So join us there if you can. Again, zdogmd.com forward slash supporters. And I'm so grateful to have you with us.